how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Lucia Anello, Paul Downs, and Jen Stasky met doing comedy in New York, where they eventually landed jobs together on the series Broad City. Today, they're the creators of the new HBO comedy series, Hacks. For this series, Gene Smart stars as Deborah Vance, a legendary Las Vegas comedian who begrudgingly takes an outcast 25-year-old named Ava under her wing. Ava is played by Hannah Inbinder. In this interview, the trio talks about writing sketch comedy, how opposing characters can attract one another cultural forefronts on the page, how to create a strong pilot, and their advice for novice writers starting careers today. We met in New York um, doing comedy there. Um, Lucia and Jen were actually in a sketch group together. Yes, we were in a sketch group together. Um, we were the only two women in the group and then they eventually stopped emailing us. So I guess we got picked <laughs> out. We never actually had closure on that. Yeah. Experience. We never heard for sure. Um, but I think, I think we're not in the group anymore. I think so. Yeah. Um, I think they would love to have you now. This is Paul. <laughs> I think they would absolutely have you back. It's okay. Right. We're, we're, we're busy. Okay. And yeah. Lucia and I met doing um, comedy at the Upright Citizens Brigade and Honestly, really shortly thereafter, we all became friends and collaborators. We worked together on Broad City, but um, Lucia and I, um, who have been partners for a long time, you know, always ask Jen, who is the funniest person we know, to help us with what we're doing. So she was on set for Rough Night, the movie we made, and she also um, came with both of us while I was shooting my Netflix special, The Characters, um, just because I need my girlies to help <laughs> punch up jokes and make me better so like with that in mind speaking of punching up jokes is that kind of where this idea came from like is deborah vance a, a completely original character is she based on other you know true celebrities from vegas and and stand-ups and that type of thing or where did this idea come from yeah this is jen um 
we it was on that very trip that Paul mentioned when he was shooting his Netflix character special that the idea for hacks um, came about. And I'm not sure how we got on the topic, but we were driving to Portland, Maine to shoot this sketch at a um, monster truck rally, actually. Uh, and and we just started talking about women in comedy and in the arts in general. Um, who have had like such a difficult path uh, in their career. Like they have to overcome so much that maybe other people, maybe their uh, straight white male counterparts did not. Um, and we just became really excited about telling a woman like that story and just kind of diving into a character like that. And of course, as we developed Deborah Vance, we talked to, you know, about a lot of different women in comedy and the, and, in entertainment in general, ranging from, you know, Debbie Reynolds to Phyllis Diller to Joan Rivers to Elaine May. Um, so there's, there's, she's an amalgamation of a lot of people that way. But of course, then when Jean Smart signed on, you know, she is so incredible and one of a kind that she, she just took the character and made it completely her own. So while sure, as we developed it, we talked about different women throughout history. And, and in a lot of ways, we hope this show is like a love letter to those women. Uh, it's also Deborah is a, is a unique character on her own for sure too. How, how important is it to you to sort of have like juxtaposing characters? Cause in some ways like Ava and Deborah on, are on two different ends of the spectrum where like the middle might've been Deborah's biggest popularity. She's kind of past that to a degree, but how do you kind of write them where, well, they're really similar about this, but really different about this. And that's why it's a show. That's why it works. How do you think about some of those things? Yeah, um, this is Lucia. I think what's interesting is that <clears throat> while you're totally right that they are diametrically opposed in their points of view and their life experience, they also are so similar in so many ways. And I think that that's really actually the thing that um, makes the show um, a little bit more um, nuanced and complicated than just, oh, they're totally just different points of view. They're both women who have been cast aside by society, who really have put their careers first for a long time and who are really funny and take no shit and are, um, you know, will absolutely bite back. And so while they also have, of course, different generational misunderstandings, um, <laughs> I think what's for us part of really what makes a show tick is, is how similar they are in so many ways. And, and that's part of, of the, their attraction to one another. You guys are plotting out like a full uh, season like this. How much are you thinking about the character's natural pathway versus things you want to talk about? Like there's a big kind of a famous scene where um, I think Ava got fired for saying something she believes wasn't PC, but Deborah just says, oh, it's just not funny. And that's a good way they can talk about that. Like, how much do you think about the character's path versus like themes you want to talk about on the show? It's a great question. We, we kind of um, approached it in terms of both character arc and theme in equal measure. Sometimes there were things that we really wanted to investigate in episode eight, um, we learned that Deborah was kind of um, mistreated and essentially assaulted by a predatory club owner, which to her was kind of like par for the course. That's just what happened. It was just part of the deal. And for someone like Ava, she's like, no, that's not okay. And um, I'm glad that you're not that affected by it, but maybe you should have been. And so it, with that episode, it kind of came from thinking about the generational um, perspective on assault 
And it was something that then we developed a story around. But I think first and foremost, we did plot out what their relationship arc would be, because ultimately, as much as the show is hopefully about a lot of things, and hopefully we do explore um, deeper themes, especially about women in the arts, it, I think, really at its core is a, is a love story. It's a story about these two women who find each other and make each other better. So um, we kind of did that at the same time, which, wow, what a feat that was. <laughs> I say that uh, you can do parenthetical joking, <laughs> sarcastic. But yeah, it's a good question because because you're right that like you do want to tackle themes and stuff. But it's also like I'm sure we've all seen stuff where like it feels like you're just watching a writer on their soapbox about an issue. And like, we never wanted the show to feel like that, that like, it was just us, you know, kind of talking about our viewpoints. Like you really want it to feel authentically from character. And funny. And funny. <laughs> and fun to watch. Uh, yeah, funny and fun. Um, I think also we, we really wanted to make sure that we were never, siding with the older generation or the younger generation. We weren't like school in the boomer or, <laughs> you know, um, putting the entitled Zoomer in her place. You know, yeah. it was something where we always wanted to be really nuanced and really um, considered and thoughtful about their perspectives and their points of view and make sure that their personal philosophies um, were authentic, but also they were both right and they were both wrong and they had a lot to learn from each other. Mm. You think some of those themes like helped, you know, now be the right time for this show, if that makes sense? Like, would this show have worked 10 years ago? Or is it more about these are really struggles that have come very much to the surface in the last couple of years? I think that actually, I think it could have existed 10 years ago. I think it probably would have been a movie. Um, but I do think that um, a lot of these issues may be more culturally in the forefront. Um, but I think that from the point of view of many women, this is what's been happening for a long time. And so, you know, I, I think that, yeah, I, I, I do believe that this could have, this could have happened. This could have story would have, unfortunately has been relevant for a long time. Yeah, I think the um, dismissal and honestly, the attack on inconvenient women mm -hmm. truly has been around mm -hmm forever you know yeah. uh i'm talking cave. i'm talking salem witch trials i'm talking <laughs> cave drawings yeah um, <laughs> but i do think we it's interesting as we've talked about this idea and we had the idea six years ago and wanted mm -hmm. to tell the story six years ago so i do think it would have existed and could have mm -hmm. existed but it's interesting that now we're kind of at this intersection where culture is also talking more and more about um the stories that we got wrong and mm -hmm. the women's stories that you know, women who were mistreated by society or by um, mass media, you know, whether that be um, Marsha Clark or Britney Spears or Paris Hilton or all of these women that were like, hey, I think we got it wrong. I don't think this was fair the way that, you know, they were judged and um, what was done to them. Yeah. It's like in episode six, when, when Deborah says, I realize they'd rather laugh at me than believe me. That's like so many of those women that Paul just mentioned story. Like it, it's so much easier for society to turn an inconvenient woman, like you said, into a joke than to really listen to her side of the story. And, and thankfully we are getting to a point where maybe that is not happening as much, but it has been unfortunately like a, a trend in our culture for a long time.
Did you guys ever have any points where you're sort of worried about, like, this is a very like Hollywood or Vegas or show busy type show, you know? So it's like, it's very relatable to like, this is kind of what it's like to write for like a late night person or like a writer's room matching a showrunner's voice. Is there any part where you're like, are we explaining this right? I'm just, I'm just curious if like you're worried about, cause you guys are already obviously in the industry. You're writing about the industry. How are you also making sure it's definitely relatable elsewhere? Is it just the jokes or how do you kind of think about that? Well, I think one way, one way that it gets to be um, a little easier for us is because they're not actually in the industry. They're kind of on the fringes of the industry. Um, And yes, she is writing for a a stand-up comedian, but she's writing for a, um, at least in season one, a uh, Las Vegas show. So because of that, I think that it does allow us to be a little bit more unique and specific in the storytelling. I don't think there is like a standard, like, well, this is what it's like to write for a famous celebrity at a pizza shop opening. <laughs> like, you know, like in terms of like, well, everyone's experienced that. It's like truly not really. So yeah. because of that, it makes it um, a little bit more like we can take some liberties because I don't think that there was like a standard experience for, for what it would be like to write for Deborah Vance. And I think in, in addition to that, what we really wanted to get right was, and obviously as writers in the industry, we certainly have personal experiences we were able to draw on. And um, I think the other thing that we did, I, I myself do stand up, but we also had a lot of standups in the room mm-hmm. because we really did want to speak truthfully and authentically about what it's like to be, um, you know, a standup and crafting jokes and working on material and that grind that kind of never ends. So um and that's a very particular and distinct part of the industry also. But like Lucia said, because these women are outcasts, it also allowed us to really explore more what happens off stage, you know, what happens behind the curtain. Was Gene Smart always the idea for Deborah? Were there other people consideration? Because it's a very specific type of role. Obviously, she's great in it, but it was it always kind of written with her in mind, or how did that come to be? Um yeah, I think when we conceived the character, we we weren't really writing for anyone particular. But then once we started getting into casting, we always knew that the tone of the show, we wanted it to be really funny, a comedy, but we also wanted it to be really emotional and, and have dramatic moments. And so the character of Deborah, whatever actor played her, needed to embody both those things. And when you look at Jean, she is so incredibly gifted, like kind of in our minds, the best in the game at playing both being super funny, but also playing grounded, real emotion and, and drama. And so it, we didn't think of her immediately when we, but then once we got into the casting and you make that list of who can do both those things, it's a really short list and Jean's, Jean's at the top of it. You see that with, cause uh, types of shows like this that are on HBO Max and some of these 30 minute comedies that didn't really exist as much so years ago. They're more like sitcoms. Do you guys kind of like, is it expected to be equal parts emotion and comedy today? Like, how has your writing changed in the last couple of years, kind of moving from sketch to shows like this? I don't think we ever really planned on doing like uh, executing anything based on how it was expected or what anybody else thought it should be. I think for us, it really was driven by what is the show, what is the story we want to tell. Um, and yeah, I think like we're able to, I mean, I, I don't mean to like list out everybody's credits and be like, well, then we did this and then we did this. But I think that we, 
um, all pride ourselves in, in being able to change the tone based on mm -hmm. what the story requires. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't know if, in a way, I suppose you could say this is an evolution, but in another, on the other hand, you can also just say, this is what the story um, needed and tonally, this is what required what required of us. And so for us, you know, I think we'd like to be able to change tones based on what we need to do. So yeah, it wasn't for anybody else other than ourselves in terms of how we chose to, to define the tone. Yeah, and I, and I think you're right that, that like over the last few years, there's there's been uh, a shift towards comedies maybe having both of those elements. But like the truth is, is like when I look back at some of the shows that influenced me, like whether it's the Mary Tyler Moore pilot or ep certain episodes of Friends, honestly, like it's the, there are those low notes there, too. There's those super emotional moments between characters that are like heartbreaking and gut wrenching. And so even though the landscape of TV has shifted and now there's room for different types of stories and there's more creative freedom, maybe like comedy is always what I've always loved. And I think we've all always loved about writing comedy is that you can have moments where you're making someone laugh, but then two minutes later, it's really emotional and like heartbreaking. And it's those, those that juxtaposition that feels like life. Life is both really sad sometimes and really funny. And it doesn't always, ha it happens in an instant that it can switch. And so I think there's, we don't feel the pressure to do that, but we feel lucky to make a show that depicts life as it really is. This show kind of puts you guys in a unique position to really talk to young writers too, like through the show. So like, sure. especially like uh, you got lucky here or saying good is the minimum, <laughs> some of these things. What are some of those You're messages? You're a writer, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Tell me about some of those, um, some of those ideas and some of those messages you want to put out there about how hard it is to get anywhere in the business. <laughs> trying to dissuade people no certainly not <laughs> no, no. hopefully it is like what jen said it really was our north star to to tell a um, story that was as true to life as possible um which is why she said you know sometimes you make a joke at a funeral because you really need the laugh right and that just is what happens and i i think we also are trying to speak truthfully about what it means to be a person in the arts and to be someone who is a creative person. And it is really hard. It's, it's always challenging. And sometimes it's deeply satisfying and deeply gratifying. Um, but you always have to keep working and you always have to keep pushing. And I think what Deborah says in episode two, that it never ends, that it never fucking ends is true. Especially if you're an artist and you wanna be one that evolves and evolves with culture and evolves um, in your own voice. I think that's something that hopefully is a message people can take away and um, benefit from. So you guys have been thinking about this for, for six years, as you mentioned, years. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you, how do you condense that into a pilot? Tell me about how you think about structuring that introducing characters what were some of those first scenes like? Did it change along the way? What are some of those ideas about pitching it as a pilot, even though it's kind of different now, pilots are not like they used to be and that type of thing, but tell me a little bit about making that first episode. Well, one thing I'll just say that comes to mind is that because we had a long time to think about it and because we have um, 
you know, really been working on the show, honestly, since that Monster Jam trip, we were able to think about the whole uh, season and, and more the whole series. And so what we were, what we endeavored to do in the pilot was to set up things that pay off not only throughout season one, but oftentimes are bookended and really pay off in the finale. Um, and so I think just having the forethought of what the entire story would be allowed us to do that. And of course, like you say, it required multiple rewrites. We really like um, worked scenes as much as we could, not to not only to be um, their funniest, but also their most economical, because we really also wanted to set up the backstories of these two women before they come together. Um, I think in a lot of instances, a lot of networks might've said, oh, you want the characters together faster. Let's get them together really fast. But for us, we wanted to um, really establish what their worlds were before they meet each other and put them on this collision course that ultimately um, climaxes in what is a seven page scene of these two women coming together um, because the whole, the entire series does really hinge on that scene. And a seven page scene is a challenge. You have to make it dynamic and have different notes and moods. It's like a song, you know? Um, so it, that especially took a, lo a long time in terms of its architecture to craft. You guys wanna jump in? Did well, I, I just rambled it, so it much. Did change, it did change a lot, you know, not only as we were outlining it and as we were writing it, but as we were shooting it, like things absolutely evolved and changed, but also potentially this is interesting, potentially uninteresting, <laughs> but we did You'll decide. Yeah, you tell me. We didn't actually, um, it was the first episode more so than the pilot because we did get a direct to series order. So a lot of the stuff that was shot um, in that first episode wasn't necessarily on a first, second or even third week of shooting. You know, like some of yeah. it was, but some of it was in other times. So um, that is just, you know, it was, I think sometimes when people are like, wow, you could really tell they figured it out in the third episode. I'm like, well, actually we shot that before, but you know. <laughs> yeah. but, you know. Um, yeah, but that's like I think an interesting part of you know these more streamer things that have slightly um, unorthodox ways of getting things made, but I think actually are really cool and I, I like it. But yeah. you do learn stuff from making a pilot too that you know that is helpful. But you know yeah. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> from a writing perspective, because I've done it both ways, where I've worked on network shows where you're shooting a pilot or writing the first episode and it's shot and done long before you've written the 10th episode, much less the 15th or 22nd. I do have to say that this way of writing where you get to write the full season feels to me much more natural to tell a story because you know, so much of what we try to we do in the pilot of this show is we lay things in in the pilot that pay off five episodes later, ten episodes later, and it and it's harder to do that obviously if you've written something and it's done and you haven't figured the end. So being able to really have your tent poles of where the story is starting and where it's going is so helpful in writing. Like, so I, I really love this this way of doing it personally. Did you look to any other like cinematic or character examples where they meet through controversy and how do you kind of think about like, okay, if this character knocks this character down here, how do we come back from that? Is it always kind of a pendulum swing with characters like this? Yeah, I think so. I think there is um, an ebb and flow to the power dynamic because um, in some ways someone like Deborah has obviously had much more experience than someone like Ava and really gone through the shit. 
But someone like Ava also has, you know, a, maybe a closer, her, her finger is more on the pulse of what's happening culturally, mm-hmm. potentially, because Deborah is someone who's sort of calcified and been sequestered to this like fortress she's built for herself in Vegas. Um, but, you know, we always talked about this show as a dark mentorship. And so while we didn't necessarily draw on dark mentorships from other film and television, it is almost, it's almost Greek in its origin, you know, this idea of the mentor. Um, and so I think that is something that is natural in this kind of a story. Maybe the only thing we would reference is Karate Kid. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was really, I think, the only thing I can remember referencing. Right. So you, you've all worked on a various a great television shows kind of leading up to this. With that experience in mind, what led to this writer's room? How did this kind of come together? And how do you, use three especially, balance strengths and weaknesses? Like, oh, it's like, you're better at this, I'm better at that. How do you kind of think about some of those things? Well, it was very important to us to have, in terms of the room itself, like a very diverse room. Um, so that was one way that, like, I think we were able to, you know, make the show unique to, you know, to hacks. Um, but in terms of our strengths and weaknesses, it literally, I don't know how you guys feel, but I literally think it depends on the hour. <laughs> like sometimes <laughs> this person might be better at structure this hour. And sometimes that person might be better at structure. This person has a better joke, but then later that person has a better joke. Like, I think we've been working together for so long that, um, yeah, we've also learned from each other. So I think at this point, it's kind of like um, three three brains that have been um, in a, a cauldron for a long time. <laughs> and so we're just vibing together, man. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously you three have kind of, have kind of worked together. Um, do you have experience or advice for people out there who are thinking about starting a partnership? Is it just a gut feeling? Like, how do you know maybe this person's right, this person's wrong? Any ideas that come to mind about that? Well, I mean, I think it's like when, it, I think it's honestly like in the pilot, you know, when Ava and Deborah are being mean to each other, but also you can tell there's something underneath that is like, there's a spark. I think it's really to me about like the spark of like, when I'm around that person, that person makes me want to be funnier or makes me want to be smarter and makes me, or makes me think of another idea or, or whatever. I think it's that, that thing that's almost indescribable more so than like, well, I like structure and they like characters or, or whatever. I think it's like not so much a mathematical decision. It's more like a chemical decision of like, when I'm around this person, I'm just want, I'm excited to create. And I think that that's really the thing that you got to have to chase. Yeah. I think it's like falling in love, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can't really just go and cherry pick your creative collaborators. It, like what you said, it's about who turns you on creatively and who you just have um, a natural rhythm with or who you're on the same wavelength with. Obviously for comedy, that means to me, who tickles you and who makes you laugh? You know, someone who does that. And also that makes them the best audience for you because you'll wanna be extra funny and extra surprising to make them laugh. I'm not exactly sure how people in drama do it, <laughs> their partnerships, but I would love to know. So if you if you want to write about you know someone who has a more dramatic relationship, yeah, please will, I'll read that learn, article. Yeah. yeah. We'll just do one more. I kind of ask everyone this. It's always a different answer. 
if any of you guys were starting individually today with the knowledge you had, but maybe no connections, that type of thing, how might you kind of start today to get into the industry? Well, I mean, the three of, none of us had connections to the industry. We are not, you know, legacies. We are from really different places. And all of us actually, I mean, at least Lucia and I are from really rural towns. Um, and your town isn't exactly rural, but it's not yeah. like a Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like a city. It's a town outside Boston. It's not. Boston um, only became Hollywood later. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but um, I think I would say for me, it's two things. One, um, write and put it out there. Whether you share it with somebody or you get some people together and try and shoot a short that you've written. Don't be precious about your work. Don't try and perfect it, right? Put it out and move on, bless you. Thanks. Um, and the other thing is, is, I would say, look for people that are um, creative that you can lean on. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a writing partner, someone that you're writing with. Sure, it could be someone who you share your work with and get their feedback because it's so helpful. Um, but it could also be somebody who wants to be a DP and he just wants to shoot something. And maybe you just shoot a scene that you've written. I think it's just about honestly um, generating things and, and putting them out mm -hmm. and not being afraid to do that and not being precious about making it perfect because the person who puts out 100 bad things will get noticed and learn more than the person who puts out one brilliant thing. Mm -hmm. That's me. Yeah. I think mine is honestly uh, like, attached to what he said about collaborating like I, like find people that are trying to do the same thing you are and lean on each other especially in comedy it's so much about partnership and working together and you know if you tell a joke someone needs to be on the other end to hear it and laugh at it so it, it's really nice to just embrace other people that are trying to do the same thing and also I would tell myself because I think I'd had to learn this like someone else's success is not your failure don't surround yourself with other people and you are not in competition with them you are only only you are in competition with yourself to tell your story and be on your own path and so just lean on those other people trying to do the same thing because it will it will make the journey so much easier and also more re rewarding i mean i'm only going to say the exact same thing they said in different ways but like <laughs> i was if i can go back to talk to talk to like my 20 year old self i would have started making things earlier I would have started just like, I was like, oh, I'm in, I'm in my hometown. I don't, I'm not, you know, I, once I moved to New York or whatever, and then I'll start, but I could have started then. And I think that, um, especially now because iPhones are, have such great resolution and, and, you know, you don't really need anything anymore because technology is so great. You can like teach yourself how to edit on like iMovie. You know, I taught myself at the time how to edit on Final Cut, but like, you can just go and make your own stuff now. There's nothing stopping you except for like recruiting people. But literally, I'm like, you can recruit your family now. You can recruit anybody. You can just go and start to make things. And, and it doesn't mean that the first thing you make or the eighth thing you make or the hundredth thing you make is going to be good, but you'll get better every time. And so I would have just started making things earlier. Um, and, and for, and for yeah. the, your readers who are writers, who maybe are like, I don't really want to direct something or I don't really want to, you know, be editing something <laughs> that sounds scary i i think they can take the same advice because they can write something and they can give it to somebody that they go to high school with who's in the 
in a film class, you know, mm-hmm. or they can write something in college and try and get people to make it who want to be making stuff because then you just learn more from creative collaboration. And um, I do wish in college I had done more of that, that I had been like, I'm going to write a screenplay and I'm going to write a pilot and right. I'm going to write the sketches that I write. Cause I was writing, you know, sketches and shorter form comedy, but I wish I had been like, Oh, I should try my hand at a pilot for television. And I should try my hand at a screenplay, which I obviously did, but I didn't do it at the time. And yeah. I think you should just throw yourself into every challenge and, yeah, it's also Generally. what Paul's saying. I'll just piggyback on it. Like trying all those different things because there's so many different avenues you can take. I think I learned early in my career as I did the same. Like I tried stand up and I was so bad at it. And I tried. <laughs> I think I disagree. I, I, I disagree. <laughs> okay, okay. I was I was better at writing jokes and scripts than I was at stand up or writing sketch. Let's let's say that. And but point being, what Paul's saying is, as you try all those things, I always tell like younger writers when they're trying, like follow the fun like Mm -hmm. I had more fun doing the thing I was like better at and so if you keep trying things you'll go oh yeah I I don't love directing I don't love writing sketch but I love writing you know narrative half hour or whatever it is so just erotic thrillers erotic thrillers (laughs) yeah I'm the new Danielle Steele oh my god so you you just gotta find yourself future Danielle Steele out there (laughs) exactly so so just just try a bunch of stuff especially when you're young yeah like Jen say because also it's like you might find this collaboration like I don't collaborate well well with them, and then you move on and try to find new people. So yeah, and like Deborah says, like Deborah says, you know, it's it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of misses, mm-hmm. but it's about shots on goal. You got to take a lot of shots on goal, and you will make a goal. Yeah, but you got to keep taking shots on goal. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.